You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. Today, we were doing the last big day of our neurolinguistic programming practitioners certification course. And part of the process of teaching people neurolinguistic programming is that we have them coach one another as the big final day. And that's tomorrow. And it's been a very wonderful 10 weeks. Uh, 12 if you count the big integration weekends that we do with everyone that uh, signed up for the class. A lot of you listeners out there have actually taken the course or are currently taking the course, and it's fantastic to be able to introduce people to neuro-linguistic programming in a way that will benefit their addiction recovery, open their mind to the splendors that is the reframing and the reprogramming process that happens during the addiction recovery journey, regardless of whether you learn NLP or not. Neuro-linguistic programming will benefit anyone who dives into it greatly in just understanding more how the mind creates its reality inside your own head and how that becomes what you believe is the world you're living in until somebody shows you different ways of shifting your points of view. And it's absolutely fantastic. And one of the coolest things that comes from teaching this to people in addiction recovery is that it gets introduced to them in a way by me and Aubrey Pohl, who you've heard on this show before, in a way that is directly meant to be offered as um, coaching support and material for those who want would want to go off and learn it and become a coach of some regards in their own, but also for those who have suffered trauma and have the sufferings that come from years of addiction. I from alcohol and drugs, her from an eating disorder. And when we present it, we cover a lot of these topics, unlike the way it was presented to me, which was more of like, hey, you can use this stuff for life coaching. We really gear it towards helping people understand their trauma and their sufferings and how they're remembering these events and different ways to experience them now so they can release their limiting beliefs. And today, as we're teaching time dynamics, which is this idea that you can go back on your timeline to a moment that you remember vividly for some reason or another, for some reasons you, uh, for some memories you have, you really enjoy and you like to go back to them to be able to elicit those positive feelings. What the brain tends to do though, is really anchor into those negative, undesirable memories of when we felt unloved, where we lacked confidence, where we didn't feel that we could be vulnerable or have a conversation, or when our parents gave a side eye or made a comment that made us feel less than. And then you just end up stacking up other similar moments on top of this one moment that really becomes the gestalt. It becomes the main negative memory that everything else attaches itself to. And from there sprouts all of these limiting beliefs and limiting behaviors that we begin to take on in our youth that are ripe for the picking from when addiction is introduced to us. No one just takes that first drink and says, holy shit, this is the elixir I've always been looking for without having some level of doubt and disbelief in themselves that has led them to this fork in the road where alcohol and drugs or an eating disorder or sex or gambling or pornography or whatever it might be 
it seems like it's the perfect answer, like it's the medicine that they've always been looking for. Certainly for me, I can look back at some very heinous memories. I say heinous, it's a little bit dramatic, but certainly very impactful, undesirable memories from when I was four years old and we were leaving Oklahoma and I was crying in the back of the car. Or when I was five years old and I got switched for the first time for breaking a rule and going into somebody's house without letting my parents know where I was. Or moving to Indiana whenever I was eight years old from a great place in Florida into this horrible like house on the hill. This is the house where people get murdered to style home in Indianapolis and having my mom get sick and getting Crohn's and having her come home with a colostomy bag and then everything that poured from that. So I can trace back my addiction lineage to certain memories. You are also going to have these memories that you have begun to stack up and it creates these limiting beliefs. It it creates these um, undesirable emotions and feelings about ourselves that we then, unbeknownst to us, are attaching other similar experiences to this main one, to this anchor. And it's being done by the unconscious mind in order to help us what is it we said recently that the human mind is geared towards finding pleasure and staying away from pain when the brain feels a painful moment at a young age it then starts seeking out other events other circumstances that feel and look and sound similar to this original one that caused us pain so that we can start noticing where we can reduce that pain stay away from this one thing. It's like, oh, when we say this comment, our parents look at us disapprovingly. So now I should watch everything I say so I don't get the disapproving look. And anytime a look or a feeling or a sound comes toward me from my parents that even remotely feels disapproving, I'm going to mark that down as don't do that anymore because we want to stay away from the pain. We want to seek pleasure. We want to run from pain. It's part of the natural human experience. I mean, this shit's hardwired into our DNA since we were cave people. Because if we didn't know that over that hill was a saber-toothed cat, and we just wandered over the hill, we got eaten by the saber-toothed cat. So our mind was like, nope, on the other side of that hill is pain. Let's not go over there. And any other hill or any other sound or any other bush that might even be remotely connected to the saber-toothed cat that we know is over that hill, anytime we see something that remotely reminds us of this one place where we know the pain is, we immediately say, oh, oh, oh that's that's pretty familiar. It looks a lot like that hill. It looks a lot like the bush that the saber-toothed cat hangs out in. That cat of nine tails could be a saber-toothed cat tail. I just won't go over there. And the more we stack these things up, Here's what ends up happening. Things happen to us at a young age, and we are just beginning to create the foundation for who we're going to be. We are making meaning out of anything that we can. This is where we're starting to build associations as a child in order it's in order to stay within our tribe. It's the you know um, them versus me, and then 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 uh, was it? How's the psychology thing go? It's it's like me versus them, and then me versus us, or it's like we're trying to figure out. It's like oh okay, 
all the people that are in my home are part of my tribe, but anybody outside of this home, not in my tribe. So I'm going to do everything I possibly can do to stay within my tribe, not be ostracized, but I'm also going to be looking to reject people outside of my tribe to keep my tribe fortified. And we're laying down these foundational um, moments, these foundational memories, these foundational behaviors and actions and thoughts and feelings that have, we're talking about straight out the womb. This is how babies start to mimic smiling from their parents. This is how we teach children how to talk by them just listening to us. And when we say spoon and they pick up a spoon, their brain associates the sound that the word spoon makes when it comes off of our lips with this item in our hand. And then over the course of a few years, now we're putting some sentences together, but we can still spell out words like C-O-O-K-I-E so the kid doesn't know we're talking about a cookie, but it doesn't take them very long to figure out that that's what cookie is. And it's almost like we're inadvertently teaching them to spell just by simply spelling words that we would rather them not know we're talking about in the moment. And this is all happening in that two, three, four range. We're building our foundation. We're laying down the concrete. We're putting in the plumbing and the electricity work. And then we start building these floors. Well, on these floors that we have become these traumatic moments. A certain day might build its own floor because it was that traumatic. Or a certain day might build its own floor because it was that amazing. And as our days become weeks, become years, and we start to form all of these memories, we're building these floors and floors and floors until you, before you know it, you've got the Burj Khalif, you've got the Sears Tower, you've got the Petronas Towers, you've got these mega skyscrapers that you've built. And in a way, it's like you're building a skyscraper every year especially in your younger years, whenever you're just formulating what the world means. And again, with the main driver being seek pleasure, avoid pain. And when we feel pain, experience pain, we put a marker there. It's like putting a pin on a map. That's where pain happens. And then the brain starts seeking out other ways that pain might find us and associating it back to this main pain. Because the more associations we have, the more likely we are to avoid the pain and be able to locate the pleasure. And as we're building these floors, we begin to build these mega skyscrapers. And now we're stacking them on top of each other. So that by the time addiction and something that could cause us to go down that path is introduced to us. And again, it could be a process addiction like shopping or gambling or pornography, um, you know, the cell phone is certainly an addiction machine or can be a substance use disorder level addiction where we actually have to take something in order to feel better. So that's the big distinction. Process addictions, you do something to feel better. Substance addictions, you take something to feel better. But either way, we've experienced some level of pain that's gone unhealed. And when the addictive substance is introduced to us, we latch onto it as if that's the medicine that we've always been looking for. And not everybody does this. Lots of people will have a traumatic moment that they didn't turn into trauma. Perhaps they have a different level of emotional intelligence or their parents talked them through it or a mentor or an uncle or a teacher said, hey, you don't have to feel that way. And they just believed it. The uniqueness of the brain makes studying why some people go one way and some people go another practically impossible. Because no matter how big your test group is, it's still flawed because of the uniqueness of everyone. 
that even if everybody was kept together in the same room from the moment they were born until the moment they died, they are still going to experience life very differently because of the way that we interpret things through our sight, sound, touch, taste, smell, and the way that all those things are processed in our filters and everything's deleted and then it's distorted and then it's generalized and it's run through all of these different filters like mood and time and experiences and memories and personality traits. And all of this stuff spits out this reality in our head that we begin and continue to build these skyscrapers with. And so now you find yourself in front of an addictive substance that becomes the medicine. You grab a hold of it and now you're building your skyscrapers of life tainted by this poison. Addiction in whatever substance or process that you're addicted to, that becomes the primary filter everything is run through. That as long as you've got alcohol in your system, this is okay. Or because I did this, it was because of this. And it all ends up being anchored back into, let's just say booze for this one, right? So you've got this booze addiction and everything that you're doing from the moment it's entered into your life is run through this, I must have booze. I will do everything to get booze. And we start building our skyscraper of life with booze as the primary substance, Right before it may have been concrete or it may have been brick, but now it's concrete and brick mixed in with a bunch of booze. So the, the the flaw in the design is already inherent in that when you add a foreign substance to a brick or concrete, it's not going to be as strong. And so we're building our skyscraper and now we're stacking skyscrapers on top of each other. So now we've got 10 skyscrapers, 15 skyscrapers, 18 skyscrapers, rep, each skyscraper representing a year of your life in this metaphorical analogy. Okay, just run with this. It's coming out of nowhere. And so... Now that you've built all of these skyscrapers, when was the addictive substance entered into your life? Now it has become the the weak link into all of your skyscrapers. And here you are seeking a way out of the madness, seeking a way through the darkness of your forest into the, the fields and valleys of hope to the mountain of accomplishments. But you're locked inside this addiction jungle with these skyscrapers that you've built with these traumatic moments from childhood as part of the foundational growth. And here you are skyscraper on top of skyscraper on top of skyscraper on top of skyscraper. And now you're the King Kong on the top of it. You want out. Your addiction's gone mad. It's taking you to the depths of despair. And you've got all these skyscrapers of life. And your addiction is the King Kong holding on to the spire, swatting at all of the planes and all of the helicopters trying to take it down. Those planes and helicopters are the people seeking to offer you assistance. But it's difficult to see that they have your best interest at heart because you're locked in through this very disorganized and disjointed and devalued view from the King Kong at the top of the skyscraper. You're so high up, you can't even imagine what it's going to be like to go back through therapy, through cognitive behavioral therapy, through eye movement desensitization, reprocessing, through neuro-linguistic programming. All of these modalities can bring relief to the different layers, to the different floors of your skyscrapers that have been tainted by these traumatic moments, that have been weakened by the addiction. But to go back and do this... The King Kong has to stop swatting at the airplanes. Stop swatting at the helicopters. 
realize in this analogy that the, the, the bullets that are flying is attempting to kill the King Kong of addiction, but not you. You are these skyscrapers. You have created this life for yourself, and the King Kong has gone out of control. And what ends up happening when people want to get the help is that they're at such a high point of the addiction. It's the swatting gorilla that's gigantic and huge. And how am I ever going to be able to release the weight of this addiction and all of these floors that have been tainted by it, where this foreign substance has been integrated into my brick and my concrete and my steel, naturally weakening me at the joints and at the frames and at the support beams. When we utilize various forms of therapy and we're willing to go back to our childhood, it's like we literally are able to climb down these skyscrapers and get back down to those foundational moments when the traumatic memory began to associate other memories to it. As in, this is the pain. Stay away from this pain. That's where our limiting beliefs came from. We get side-eye from our parents and we think, okay, don't say anything weird. I might get ostracized from the tribe. I might get made fun of. And then you do something a little goofy and they laugh at you and you're like, oh, that reminds me of the pain I didn't want to feel. So I won't do anything that you know allows them to laugh at me. So I'll just keep everything shuttered inside because I don't want to be laughed at. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to feel like I don't belong. And then maybe you don't get a good grade or you get something dirty on your shirt and they scold you a little bit. Now you don't feel like you belong again, so you don't want to stand out. You don't want to do anything that upsets the parents. And all these little things begin to associate to the original memory you have of feeling like you didn't belong in the family unit. And now you really want a bicycle for your sixth birthday, but you don't end up getting it. Now you think they don't care because you didn't do enough to make them love you. And now you feel unloved. And now you start associating that to any other feeling that remotely, remotely, even just one one millionth of a percent feels like unlove. And now you stop doing things that you normally would do because you only want to elicit love. So you become this little child who's constantly trying to please, changing the way you talk and the behave to suit any adult who's around just because you don't want to feel unloved. You don't want pain. And you don't even know who you are anymore because you're just changing yourself at the whims of what you think other people want from you just so you don't have to feel pain. And all these shiftings of behavior cause you not to even really know how to express yourself. And by not being able to express yourself, you don't express yourself at all, or you overexpress yourself. And then whatever responses you get from that become part of the pain. Because either way, you weren't feeling the way you wanted to feel when you did that. I mean, I'm getting a little lost in the sauce, and I know this can sound convoluted, but this is how the mind is building all of your skyscrapers. It's grabbing a hold of anything it possibly will help you make meaning out of the chaos that is just the natural world. And it's just compartmentalizing all of this stuff. And you don't even realize that it's been doing this to you until you've got 20, 30, 40 of these skyscrapers stacked on top of each other. And King Kong is the size of New York City. Not just the building, but literally the size of the whole fucking city. And then you wonder why you're swatting at the airplanes and helicopters. And people wonder why nothing that they say will get through to you. Because all of this trauma, all of this pain, all of this suffering and heartaches, they are now interwoven into your skyscrapers. And there is a way to go down and begin to remodel them, to repair them. But it takes a willingness on your part to actually step in and say, no more. I will change this. 
I will choose a different way. That's what I was talking about yesterday when it comes from that burning desire. When you're tired of the New York City-sized King Kong on top of these gigantic skyscrapers of life that you've inadvertently created that have been tainted by the poison and the trauma and the sufferings. When you come up with clear actions, that's when you begin to climb down these skyscrapers. You're able to go back to these painful memories of your childhood. Yes, you have to count the costs and understand that by going back and repairing them, you're no longer going to be able to blame them, make excuses for them. It's going to be time to accept personal responsibility. And when you act on your commitments and not your feelings, you say to yourself, regardless of how much this might hurt, to go back to this memory of when I was four years old and I felt alone, or when I was seven years old and I felt rejected, or when I was 11 years old and I didn't feel loved that I'm going to be willing to go back and I'm going to visit these memories and I'm going to choose to experience them differently. Because you can hold on to the pain and the trauma. And some people may have caused you pain and trauma that very much, absolutely, they should feel guilty and shameful for. But when you hold on to it and allow that to dictate your life as an adult, you're allowing that something that happened years and years and years ago, like for me, something that happened when I was seven. I'm 47 now. Do I really want my 47-year-old Jesse to be running his entire life through these filters and these processes that he created in order to help him understand a traumatic moment at seven? I have so many more resources now. I have so many more strengths and different values and principles and habits that I adhere my life to now that I didn't even know existed when I was seven. Had I known at seven what I know at 47, I would have behaved and acted completely different to these traumatic moments than I did then. But now I have the resources. With neuro-linguistic programming, we offer people an opportunity to go back to these moments, implant these resources into your seven-year-old self, because that version of you still exists inside of you, still crying out for, for love, still crying out for acceptance still crying out to just feel like they belong. And when we can go back and we can instill these powerful attributes into this version of ourselves that's very much alive inside of us, we can heal that pain from years ago. And we can take the lesson that it was meant to teach us all along, bring that back up into the present, leaving the pain and the suffering and the trauma and the heartache and the rejection and all those negative feelings and thoughts and associations. We leave them back with seven-year-old Jesse because that's when they happened and that's where they belong. They belong there, shifting them, reframing them and realizing that they weren't as painful as we thought or they were painful then, but they don't have to be painful now. There's infinite ways we can choose to recreate our lives. And we're doing it anytime we decide to fall back on that memory. Anytime we decide to repeat it to somebody else or ruminate on it in our heads, we're building it all back up and choosing to go back to those painful memories, choosing to go back to those painful emotions, choosing to circle back over and over and over again on those painful thoughts. What if you chose differently? What if you chose the lesson? What if you chose to see some modicum of positivity, even in the most brutal of traumas? If it nothing else, it's that you survived it. You lived through it. You keep moving forward, plowing through life sometimes and gliding through life other times. It's always a choice how we choose to experience our past. But we make the choice to choose to experience it differently in the now. Now. 
yes, these skyscrapers have been built over years and years and years. And we can still remodel them. No matter 88-year-old version of you could still go back and heal 8-year-old version of you. When the burning desire will create clear actions in your mind, you negotiate, navigate, and count the costs, and then you act on your commitments instead of your feelings, you begin to go and heal these traumas. And it's through the healing that you awaken the version of yourself that you were always meant to be. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of my life and your life and all of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine and Robert. Glow on. By the way, next neurolinguistic programming class starts at the end of March. If you'd like to get in on it, hit me up at jessemogul.com slash ask me. Click on the NLP one. Fill out the little form. Send it over to me. We'll get on the phone. We'll have a convo. It'll be sweet. It'll be awesome. And we'll see if this is the right thing for you. This wasn't just like a 23-minute pitch for it. But when I gave that metaphor about the skyscrapers today with the King Kong and all that, like I felt as if I was talking to y'all while I was teaching it. And I didn't want you to miss out on the opportunity to hear it. It's never too late to go back and have the most amazing childhood. You just have to choose to be willing to venture back there to feel that healing. All right, my friends. Much love. Bye-bye.